This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The following episode is not suitable for those under the age of 13. Viewer discretion and parental guidance is advised. The small town of Evansdale, Iowa, has been a peaceful and remote community since its formal establishment in 1947. It was in this small, close-knit community that young cousins Lyric Cook and Elizabeth Collins were raised. Lyric and Elizabeth often spent time together, whether it was brief playtimes together in their homes or long-winded outside adventures. The girls loved each other dearly and would treasure their time spent together. It would be on one of these outdoor adventures that the unthinkable would happen and a small community would be turned upside down, shocked and horrified by tragic events that would go on to haunt the residents to this very day. Before we delve into today's case, I'd just like to thank Emma Sleep for sponsoring this video. Now, way back when I first moved into this house, I was in the market for a brand new bed and mattress, and one that I'd always heard stuff about was the mattress from Emma Sleep. Now, knowing me, I did do my research and I did know that investing in a good mattress would probably be a good idea, but I just never bit the bullets and I ended up buying a cheap mattress. And let me tell you, that was a big mistake. I ended up having to fork out even more cash for a mattress topper because I was having trouble getting comfy in bed and was experiencing back pains. I actually spoke with my dad about this and he told me that I should never cheap out on anything that goes between you and the ground. That means the office chair that you sit on all day and the mattress that you'll ultimately spend an estimated 33% of your life sleeping in. And sleep health is super important. So when Emma Sleep reached out, I genuinely, genuinely couldn't have been more excited. They sent me over their Emma Sleep original mattress along with their Divan bed to help make sure I get the sleep I need. And honestly... The reviews are true. It truly is a game changer. The Divin bed itself came in three easy to put together parts, which means that putting it all together only took about 20 minutes max. The Emma Divin bed is handmade in the UK and features two integrated drawers, which is where I'm currently hiding all the clutter in my bedroom while I film this video. Trust me when I say the drawers are super spacious. The Emma Divin bed comes with a stylish headboard included, which is made from premium fabrics, and the bed as a whole provided superior comfort with extra support for my mattress, which is the Emma Sleep Original Mattress. I've slept on my mattress now for three nights, and it's been some of the best sleep I've had for a long time. This Halo Memory Foam and Ergosol technology, which aids breathability, the technology behind Emma Sleep is here to support you no matter your sleeping position or location. And let me tell you, this mattress feels like a much needed hug after a long day at work. But what's even better is that the Emma Sleep mattress and the Emma Divan bed is backed by their 200 night risk-free guarantee, meaning that you can sleep easy. 
And of course, the amazing folk over at Emma Sleep have hooked you up with an exclusive discount. I got you. I got you. Use code Joshua to get yourself 50% off plus an exclusive extra discount on top. Use the link at the top of the description or the link in the pinned comment to shop your Emma Sleep products today. Trust me when I say it's worth it, 100% worth it. And if you change your mind, don't forget Emma's 200 nights risk-free trial. Thank you again to Emma Sleep for sponsoring this video. It's brands like Emma Sleep that enables this channel to keep going. So please don't hesitate to show them your support. Now, back to the case. Lyric Cook was born to her parents Misty Cook and Dan Morrissey on the 2nd of October 2001. Lyric, like many in the community, loves spending time in nature. She'd play outside in any weather condition, whether it be rain or sunshine. She was also passionate while participating in sports, namely cheerleading, gymnastics and bowling. Lyric was further enthusiastic about her faith, often bringing her love of outdoors and play into her time spent in worship with her friends and family, whom she loved very loudly and dearly. Lyric's younger cousin Elizabeth Collins was born on the 31st of July 2003 in Waterloo, a town close to Evansdale, which was where they eventually moved to. Her parents, Drew and Heather Collins, were both proud to be her parents. Elizabeth was a bubbly, bright young girl who loved animals of all sorts, especially her dog, Gus. Elizabeth loved traveling and exploring, and her family often mentioned treasuring moments with her during movie nights where they would all bundle up on the couch and eat popcorn. Lyric and Elizabeth often spent time together, whether it was brief playtimes together in their homes or long-winded outside adventures. The girls loved each other dearly and would treasure their time spent together. It would be on one of these outdoor adventures that the unthinkable would happen, when a small community would be turned upside down, shocked and horrified by a tragic event that would go on to haunt the residents to this very day. The morning of the 13th of July 2012 had been calm. Lyric and Elizabeth spent the morning in Elizabeth's family home. Due to their parents' work schedules and to errands that needed to be dealt with, the girls were left with their grandmother, Wilma, who was a frequent babysitter for the two. Later that morning, Lyric and Elizabeth, who were aged 10 and 8 respectively at the time, decided to go on a bike ride to spend some time outside. They were seen several times on their ride. First, they were seen at around 12.23pm riding down Broven Boulevard on their bikes, before being spotted again along Gilbert Drive, biking along a road leading towards Myers Lake sometime between 12.30 and 1pm. Long bike rides weren't unusual for the two cousins. However, after several hours of the girls failing to return home, their parents and grandmother grew worried. They searched the areas around the house and around the places where they had seen the girls biking only a short while before. When their search efforts failed, Elizabeth's mother, Heather, made a call all parents fear having to make. At 2.48pm, a call went out to the local police department, reporting Lyric and Elizabeth as missing. The reaction was immediate. Police, friends, family members and members of the community sprang into action, searching every square acre of Evansdale. With Evansdale being quite small, only 4.06 square miles, or 10.52 square kilometres, the searchers quickly found clues of the whereabouts of the young girls. A first responder aiding the search found both of the bikes that the two cousins had been riding along a biking trail on the bank of Myers Lake. 
Other belongings of Lyric and Elizabeth were found in the area as well. Police noted that additional evidence was uncovered in the area, but have not released those details as the case is still under investigation. One of the belongings, Elizabeth's bag, was found thrown over the fence separating the biking trail from the lake itself. What was also notable was what the investigators did not find at the location. Neither of the girls' shoes were found near the bikes or other belongings. This told investigators that the girls had likely not left their belongings there to get into the lake for a swim, as their shoes would have likely been left behind. The discovery of the girls' bikes and other items upped the sense of urgency in the searchers. By now, hundreds of law enforcement personnel, first responders, and citizens were searching every land area of Evansdale that they possibly could, desperately hoping to find the girls. Their search continued long into the evening and early morning hours. With no sign of the girls aside from the items found by the lake and bike trail, local police called in for help. By 7am on the morning of the 14th of July, members of the Iowa Division of the FBI arrived in Evansdale to aid the search efforts. In less than 24 hours after their disappearance, Lyric Cook and Elizabeth Collins were on the mind of state authorities in Iowa. As the search of the girls continued into the weekend, local and state investigators began tracing leads in any capacity that they could. They began interviewing local registered sex offenders and administering polygraph tests to put pressure onto anyone they were interrogating. Now, it should be noted that polygraph tests are not admissible or usable in the court of law, as I've said so many times on this channel before. However, they are commonly used in police interrogations as a method of applying pressure to those being interviewed. Individuals hooked up to a lie detector machine might be more likely to be honest if they don't know any better. It's a really interesting technique that the police enlist to make a suspect feel pressured into revealing the truth, or at least that's the point of it. It was at this point that rumours and suspicion began to fall upon Dan Morrissey and Misty Cook, Lyric's parents. Now, you see, both Dan and Misty had a criminal record, with Dan's being more extensive. News coverage at the time outlined crimes that Dan had committed and, consequently, was meant to go to court for in late July. And if found guilty, the charges against him had the potential to put him in prison for upwards of 15 years. Many of the infractions involved drugs, particularly marijuana and methamphetamine with charges for possessing, using, dealing, and making the drugs among them. These, however, were not the worst of Dan's known offences. In July of 2011, Dan was arrested and charged with domestically abusing Lyric's mother, Misty. An article by CBS covering these charges said, quote, He was arrested and charged with domestic abuse after police said he threw Misty Cook Morrissey to the ground smashed her face into the floor, put his knee over her neck so she could barely breathe, and broke her finger. Both Dan and Misty were interrogated by the police, but were quickly dismissed as suspects. On the 20th of July 2012, a week after the disappearance of Lyric and Elizabeth, police called off the search of Myers Lake, with the captain of the Black Hawk County Sheriff's Office, Captain Abbon, stating in a press conference, quote, Investigators are confident that the two girls are not in Myers Lake. This case is now being called an abduction. As time progressed and weeks pressed on without any sign of the girls, the community did their best to continue supporting the families of Lyric and Elizabeth. Vigils, prayer services, and events were held to try to uplift the families, as the community held out hope that the girls would somehow return home. 
In an interview with the news outlet on the 10th of August 2012, Elizabeth's mother Heather said, quote, The only thoughts that go in my head are positive thoughts. The girls will return home. Our time is not necessarily God's time, and we just need to be patient. A letter from the parents of both Lyric and Elizabeth was published by the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier on the 13th of November, where their parents directly address their potential abductors and plead for their safe return, saying, quote, We want you to know that we are praying for you to do the right thing. Unfortunately, weeks slowly turned into months. The community and families still held out hope that little Lyric and Elizabeth would somehow find their ways back home. Unfortunately, this hope would be in vain. On the 5th of December 2012, two hunters were wandering the quiet regions of the Seven Bridges Wildlife Area, a former county park in Bremer County, nearly 25 miles or 40 kilometers from Evansdale. Among the foliage of the secluded park, the hunters made a heartbreaking discovery, the remains of two young girls. They made a call at around 12.45pm to local authorities to come and investigate the scene. The local investigators knew in their guts upon arrival who they believed the remains to belong to, and notified the Black Hawks Sheriff's Department of the recovery so the two departments would be able to collaborate easily if their theory was correct. DNA evidence from the recovered remains was sent to the State Medical Examiner's Office in Ankeny to determine for sure if the remains were the two missing cousins from Evansdale. In the meantime, the investigation into those who might be in the area began. The following day, Captain Abin held a press conference announcing that they were awaiting confirmation from the State Medical Examiner's Office on the identity of the two individuals, but felt certain the remains were that of Lyric Cook and Elizabeth Collins. The confirmation that the investigators, families, and community of Evansdale were all anticipating came to them on the 10th of December. The remains found in the Seven Bridges Wildlife Area were indeed those of 10-year-old Lyric Cook and 8-year-old Elizabeth Collins. Information regarding the suspected time and cause of the girls' death have still not been released, as this information being public could cause major issues for the still open investigation. It is common knowledge to many that children, especially younger children, are not likely to survive the first day after being abducted. A report by the Washington State Attorney General's Office notes that 88.5% of child abduction cases that they studied resulted in the child being killed within the first 24 hours. 76% were dead within the first three hours after being abducted. Because of this, many in the community have suspected the girls to be deceased. The confirmation of their deaths hit the small community like a shockwave. As the community mourned the now proven loss of Lyric and Elizabeth, investigators in Black Hawk County and now Bremer County pressed on. Investigators re-examined many of the sex offenders first dismissed as suspects earlier on in the case, hoping that they could find new clues or leads as to who could have been heartless enough to take the lives of two innocent young girls. Individuals on the sex offender registry in Bremer County were also investigated, as it became a theory that perhaps the person or people responsible had gone to Evansdale in the hopes of finding a victim to bring back. Despite this renewed effort, as 2012 faded into 2013, leads on the case slowly began to go cold. However, this doesn't mean that investigators had given up on finding justice for Lyric and Elizabeth. Michael Casa, who works with the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation, said to multiple news outlets that, quote, 
there are just a lot of reports, a lot of information to read through. Now that there's been a little bit of a lull, we are able to start pouring through these reports and make those connections. With so many people desperate to have this case solved, many tips came in only to be lost in the shuffle. That is, until three tips managed to catch the eyes of the investigators, reigniting the fire and providing a new lead for them to chase. On the 24th of June 2013, the authorities and investigators working the case announced that three separate witnesses had come forward describing a vehicle that they felt stood out to them on that day. The three individuals reported that they saw a vehicle that they described as, quote, a white, older model, full-sized SUV-type vehicle, similar to a Chevy Suburban or a Ford Bronco. This vehicle was reported to have been parked on Arbutus Avenue, a street that leads directly to the biking and walking trail that Lyric and Elizabeth's bike had been discovered along. Officials released this information in the hopes that anyone else who had seen that vehicle that day might also come forward. They hoped that somebody had seen not just the vehicle, but whoever might have been driving, or otherwise inside of the vehicle as well. Alongside this announcement came more news about the ongoing investigation. Officials were now exploring possible connections between the abduction and murders of Lyric and Elizabeth with another case of child abductions in Dayton, Iowa. The case involved the kidnapping of two young girls by a known offender, Michael Clunder. With so much information coming out publicly regarding the case, many questions arose. Could the person driving the white SUV have been the abductor? Were the Dayton and Evansdale cases related? Why did the investigators feel that the abductor of the other case could have been involved in both cases? That last question was a key one with quite an interesting answer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. My light just died. Why did investigators feel that the abductor of the other case could have been involved in both cases? That last question was a key one with quite an interesting answer. Who exactly was Michael Clunder? There is not a large amount of discussion around Michael's past before his criminal record starts. However, we do know that he was born in 1971 in Kensett, Iowa. His parents were divorced when he was 10 years old, but other than that, his childhood was described by those who knew him as quite typical. He lived his life just like anyone else's age would have done until 1986. Only a few months after turning 15, Michael assaulted a fellow classmate, also age 15. The details of this attack could not be confirmed reliably, however it was described as a quite vicious assault. Shortly after the incident, he was taken into youth custody and found guilty of the charges brought against him. In the year and a half following this charge, Michael was bounced around from various delinquent youth institutions all around Iowa, 
including the Boys State Training School in Eldora, the Mayor Hall in Des Moines, and Bremwood in Waverley, before finally ending up in the Mental Health Centre in Cherokee. At some point during February of 1988, Clunder, who was by this point aged 16, was released from juvenile detention and returned to his father's custody in Mason City, Iowa. The following February, at the age of 17, Clunder commits his next violent crime. On the 22nd of that month, Clunder entered the home of his co-worker under the guise of needing to use her phone after his car had stalled. The co-worker instead offered to give him a ride, which he accepted. Before the two could even enter his co-worker's car, Clunder knocked her to the ground and attempted to choke her and assault her. Court records detail her struggle in those moments and notes that she had clear physical marks around her neck from the brutal attack. In March of 1989, Clunder was tried as an adult and found guilty of assault with intent to commit serious injury. The court records also show that he was charged with second-degree burglary. This burglary was said to have occurred on the 15th of February 1989, but no other details were found in regard to this particular charge. On the 17th of May the same year, Clunder was sentenced to five years in prison for the assault and two years in prison for the burglary, to be served concurrently for those charges after taking a plea bargain. Court records show that Clunder was considered for a shortened sentence in the following months, However, this was reported as dismissed after prison officials suggested that he stay in prison long enough to complete his sexual offender treatment program before being released. It is at this point that the timeline of Clunder's prison life becomes somewhat confusing and unexplained. Clunder remained incarcerated in the Mount Pleasant Treatment Center until February of 1991 when he was released. There are no details available as to why he was released, as a seven-year combined sentence should not have ended until 1996. It might have something to do with the sex offender treatment program mentioned before, but there's no clear explanation that could be confirmed. What can be confirmed is that as of December 1991, Clunder was living in Charles City, Iowa. He found a job at a recycling center and all was going well until the morning of the 16th of December when he lost that job. Later that day, mere hours after Clunder had been fired from his job, two three-year-old little girls are taken from the front yard of a daycare in Charles City. They were found later the same day in a garbage bin in Worth County, around 50 miles from where they were taken in Charles City. One of the two girls was mostly unharmed. Unfortunately, this was not the case for the other girl, a toddler. The other little girl was found quite injured with physical signs of brutal strangulation, so much to the point that there was a very serious worry over whether or not she would recover. She ultimately did recover, but was left with unimaginable trauma from the incidents. Plunder immediately became the main suspect and was questioned. He complied at first, but quickly became uncooperative and fled the city after the interrogation not to be seen again until he's located on the 24th of December in Houston, Texas. On the 3rd of January 1992, Clunder was returned to Iowa under police custody. The following day, his bail was set to one million US dollars in the Floyd County District Court to ensure he could not flee once again. Investigations around Clunder, as well as news coverage, ramped up until a breakthrough was announced. On the 10th of January, it was made public that Clunder was a suspect in yet another case, the assault of a 21-year-old woman in Rudd County, Iowa. This assault took place on the 15th of December, the year prior, one day before the kidnapping of the two three-year-old girls in Charles City. Clunder had been driving down Highway 18 in the early morning hours when he spotted her car and flashed his headlights at her, 
convincing her to stop. When she did, he lied to her, claiming she had a broken taillight and urged her to get out of the vehicle and check for herself. When she did, Clunder assaulted her and forced her into his car before taking off down the highway. The woman managed to get the attention of other cars on the road, flailing and screaming for help, and this scared Clunder. He decided to push her out of a still-moving car to distract the now-interested drivers and escaped, only to be recognised later. On the 17th of April 1992, after only two days of trial, Clunder was found guilty of the kidnapping of the two toddlers, as well as the assaults of the 21-year-old woman. By the 13th of August, Clunder had been sentenced to 11 years imprisonment for the assault of the young woman, and 30 years imprisonment for the kidnapping of the two toddlers, so 41 years in total. Clunder, aged 21 at the time, was in prison once again. He was expecting to remain in prison until he was 62 years old. However, as we all know, this would not be the case. On the 25th of December 2011, Clunder was released on parole after only serving 18 of the 41 years he'd been sentenced to. The next two and a half years were quiet for Clunder. There is not much information on what he was doing in this time, as he seemed to be doing relatively well. Some could have even believed he had been truly rehabilitated. But again, we have the advantage of hindsight. On the 12th of May 2013, Clunder was driving when he saw 15-year-old Kathleen Shepherd and her 12-year-old friend, who will remain unnamed in this coverage. The two were walking home from the bus stop after school when Clunder noticed them. He pulled over and spoke to the girls, offering them summer jobs mowing his lawn. When the girls said they weren't sure if their parents would allow it, Clunder offered to drive them home to get their parents' permission. The girls accepted his offer and got into his truck with him. He instead bound the girls with zip ties and drove them to a remote location, an agricultural facility where pigs were kept and processed. On arrival, Clunder separated the two girls, taking Kathleen to a separate location on the facility grounds. What he did to Kathleen in this time is not known. However, during this time, Kathleen's 12-year-old friend managed to escape her binds and run away from the facility. The young girl ran for help and was eventually aided and taken to the police. She was able to tell the full story to authorities, safe and physically unharmed for the most part. Kathleen, unfortunately, would not have the same fate. At some point after separating from her friend, Clunder killed the 15-year-old and disposed of her remains in the nearby Desmonds River. She would not be found until the 7th of June later that year. Her cause of death was determined to be sharp and blunt force trauma injuries. Clunder would not live to see Kathleen's remains found, however. On the 20th of May, the same day he'd taken Kathleen and her friend from the side of the road, he was found dead in his truck at around 8pm. Michael Clunder had committed suicide. At the age of 42, Clunder had committed his last egregious act and ended his life, a life filled with violence. When investigators were made aware of Clunder's actions in 2013 and the years prior, he became a large focus for the investigation around Lyric and Elizabeth's deaths as well. As mentioned before, he'd already taken two children at the same time before, with a case resulting in the children being found several miles away from where they were taken from. These connections were interesting to investigators as those factors were present in Lyric and Elizabeth's deaths as well. The news broke that he was being investigated as a potential suspect for the case, and the sentiment throughout the community wasn't one of shock. Many had suspected that there could be a link as soon as the news broke about Kathleen and her young friend's abductions. Though on the surface, this might have been an open and shut answer to the case that everybody had been looking for, 
it simply wasn't. In 2014, it would come to light that both investigations, and more importantly, forensic investigations, showed that, to everyone's disbelief, Michael Clunder was not involved with the abduction of Lyric and Elizabeth. With Clunder no longer a suspect, information on the case began to slow. Later in 2014, during the second annual Memorial Bike and Drive Race, an event to bring attention to Lyric and Elizabeth's case, as well as other missing children's cases, Director of Safety Services in Waterloo County gave a very direct warning to the perpetrator of the two young cousins' case via KWWL's newscast, quote, We're coming for you, we're going to find you, and we're going to come get you. With the years creeping by, all updates on Lyric and Elizabeth's case came to a stop. There were no major breakthroughs or updates throughout the rest of 2014, nor the early half of 2015. No official word on the progress of the case would be heard until August of 2015. On the 22nd, the police held a press conference, releasing a full profile of the perpetrator of the crime, which had been provided to them by the FBI's Behavioural Analysis Unit. The whole profile, which was shared by the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, describes the person as potentially displaying the following traits. The offender is familiar with both Myers Lake, Angels Park, and Evansdale, and Seven Bridges Wildlife Area in Bremer County. The suspect chose Seven Bridges because he or she was familiar with the area and knew it was secluded. The offender blends in with, and may be part of, the Evandales, Bremer, and surrounding communities. The suspects likely used, quote, quiet coercion to gain the girls' compliance into leaving Myers Lake, using a ruse or threats of violence, and that other possible characteristics include, the suspect may have been experiencing stress related to legal troubles, spousal problems, employment difficulties, financial strain, or mental health issues in July 2012. Suspects may avoid discussing the case or showing interest in the matter, but is likely following developments in the media. The offender may have attempted to abduct children or adults in the past. Following the disappearance, the suspect may have altered his, her, or their physical appearance, such as changing hairstyle and facial hair. The offender's vehicle may also have been altered with a new paint job or reupholstery. Alongside this, a $175,000 reward was offered to anyone who could provide information, leading to the arrest of the person who took Lyric and Elizabeth. $150,000 of which was raised by the community of Evansdale through fundraising and donations. At this point, investigators were focusing on people who might have been very familiar with the Seven Bridges Wildlife Area, the park which Lyric and Elizabeth's remains were discovered. Police urged those in the community with knowledge of the area, or who visit the area often, to come forward and speak to the police so that they could help aid the investigation. Though they already had a list of those who they knew frequented the area, they hoped that many of them would come forward on their own. Even if those who came forward didn't have the information investigators were looking for, they hoped they could eliminate them as suspects to help narrow down their list of individuals of interest. On the 26th of July, then Evansdale Police Chief Jeff Jensen told the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier that the case would never truly be considered a, quote, cold case, promising the case would continue to be worked on, regardless of how long had passed since the day of Lyric and Elizabeth's deaths. The case would not be mentioned again in major media until the 5th of February 2016, when investigators would remind the community via WHO TV news that they were still taking tips on what was now being referred to as the Evansdale's Cousins case. In 2017, the community had not forgotten Lyric and Elizabeth, despite the lack of updates regarding the investigation of their case. Community leaders began to plan a, quote, child safety day for the community, a day where child safety and abduction prevention methods could be discussed in depth. Parents were also urged to create code words with their children, 
These code words would only be known by the child and their parents, so children could be discouraged to get in the car with, or generally interact with, adults who couldn't tell them their chosen code word. These words would only be told to other trusted adults in case of emergency, such as picking the child up from school when their parents were unavailable. Another memorial ride and drive was also organised this year. Another reminder that Lyric and Elizabeth were still on the minds of more than just their family members. On the 27th of July, investigators revealed that they'd interviewed over a thousand people up to that date in the investigation of Lyric and Elizabeth's deaths. They also revealed that over 300 of those individuals alone were sex offenders, noting that a new lead was being followed regarding a sex offender living in Ankeny. The offender in question, Jeff Altmaier, who was aged 58 at the time, was caught attempting to lure children into his van, offering them $100 if they would get into his car with them. He'd attempted this in several locations in Iowa, putting him on the radar of several police departments throughout the state. Police also noted that two different individuals had confessed to abducting and killing Lyric and Elizabeth by 2017. However, both individuals were debunked as being able to have truly done so. They also reconfirmed to questioning press that Lyric's parents were still not considered suspects in investigation. After July of 2017, all major updates on the case of Lyric and Elizabeth's deaths had stopped. There were no real discussions around the case in media or by investigators until this year, 2022. On the 13th of July, 2022, an investigator working the still open case assured a local news agency, the Des Moines Register, that the case is still being actively investigated as much as it possibly can be. Though a decade has passed since Lyric and Elizabeth were kidnapped and murdered, the case remains open and investigated. Those working on the case are still taking tips regarding the case and are still working to follow up on any leads that could prove useful in the finding of the person or people involved with the deaths of the two girls. Old evidence has also been reinvestigated with new methods as they've developed in the years after the beginning of the case. Jason Ellison, an investigator who joined the case efforts in 2017, told the Des Moines Register that, quote, DNA technology, along with forensic genealogy and electronic forensics, have come a long way in the last three years or so. It's an exciting time in law enforcement for agencies that have cases similar to this. We're waiting for some technology or new information that will help us push the case forward. Scott Rieger, a special agent with the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation, promised to all those worried about the progress of a case that, Quote, it's an active investigation. This case is not sitting on a shelf somewhere gathering dust. Though the investigators have been hard at work after all these years, it can only bring so much comfort to Lyric and Elizabeth's families. Elizabeth's father, Drew Collins, told the Des Moines Register that, quote, I thought when they found the bodies that would have quick answers. But that being said, I do think time is definitely on our side. Technology is going to be on our side. Memories of Lyric and Elizabeth can be seen all around Evansdale, especially around Mays Lake, where extensive searches took place after the recovery of the girls' bikes in the area. Murals of the girls and of angel wings can be found throughout the New Park area. On the 6th of February back in 2013, the park and trail near Mayers Lake was renamed Angels Park to honour Lyric and Elizabeth and keep their names in the minds and hearts of those in the community. The park has been constantly upgraded and added to as the years go by, mostly funded by volunteers within the community. The day before the official renaming of the park, chairman of the Evansdale Park Department told KCRG, a local news agency, that, quote, There is a lot of memorials around the lake and throughout the bike trail in Evansdale. We thought if you're riding your bike or walking, it's a nice way to memorialise people that you don't want to forget. 
The 13th of July is known as Lyric and Elizabeth Day in Evansdale, where everyone takes time to remember the young girls for who they were. Though they died far too young, they left a deep mark on those who knew them and loved them, as their personalities were much bigger than they were able to show during their short time on this world. Lyric and Elizabeth were two beautiful souls who are still seeking justice to this day. I urge you to leave the families and other loved ones regarding this case in peace. However, if you do have tips or other useful information that you believe could be helpful to the police as they continue to investigate this case, please send it to rmissingiowagirls at dps.state.ia.us. If you do send tips or information, please be sure that it is accurate and helpful as to not misuse or waste the time of the investigators who are still very invested in bringing justice to these two little girls and getting those that person or the people behind the disappearance and subsequent death of Lyric Cook and Elizabeth Collins. And that brings us to the end of this case. Thank you so much again to Emma Sleeve for sponsoring this episode. Be sure to grab your exclusive discount using the link at the top of the description or in the pinned comments. Make sure to subscribe to this channel and hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time I post a brand new true crime video just like this one. And with all that being said, I'll see you in the next case.